the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up to a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud a voice said, This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, Tell no one about this vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, O Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus the Christ. Amen. It's good to see you here this morning. I have something I want to share with you. I'm not a very big man. Did you realize that? <laughs> I've been small in stature my whole life. And I've kind of gotten used to it, I guess you might say. And clearly others, as I was growing up, have thought of me as small in stature. In fact, from fifth grade through high school, my nickname was Pee-wee. Now, I wrote an article this past week about what to call me, because some of you have been asking me, what do I like to be called? And I shared with you in that. The one thing I didn't put in there was Pastor Pee-wee. So let's not start that, okay? But, but even my teachers in high school saw me as small. and. and gave that endearing nickname to me, Pee-wee. In ninth grade, I remember getting called over the intercom along with all of the other interested boys who were wanting to pursue what it might be like to play football for the football team. And so the coach invited anyone in, you know, I think it was the fourth period, to come down to the gym for an assembly. And so I, I went with a, a whole host of maybe 85 to 100 guys to, to the gym and sat in the bleachers and the coach was walking back and forth and giving us his spiel about commitment and integrity and the grit to, and he stopped and he kind of cocked his head and put his hand inquisitively to his mouth and he pointed to me <laughs> and he said, Pee-wee, you want to go out for football? Now, I happened to sit down next to Tom Smith, who if I weighed 120 soaking wet, Tom Smith was twice that and more. If I was 5'1 or 5'2, Tom was at least 5'11. Pee-wee, stand up. And I did. Tom, stand up. And I think the point was being made. We looked like the old cartoon Mutt and Jeff together. He said, Pee-wee, do you want to be killed on that football field by Tom Smith and people just like him? <laughs> 
And I said, no, sir. He said, don't you sing? Aren't you in the chorus? And I said, yes, I am, sir. He said, would you want that beautiful voice to be squished out of you by a pile of Tom Smith's? I said, no, sir. Go sing in the chorus. I did get out of fourth period class, so that's my claim to fame for that particular event. But the point being, I was perceived as small, and that's okay. How have you been perceived in your life? How is it that people view you? I think it's an important question to wrestle with, especially in light of the events of today when we're celebrating the transfiguration of our Lord's Sunday. Transfiguration of our Lord's Sunday is, a, is an event that kicks off the, the beginning of the turn towards the season of, Advent, or, um, of Lent, which we talked about earlier. And it's important that we understand that the gospel writers wanted us to get a sense of what they believed about Jesus. They wanted us to have a, a, a clear indication of how they felt about this this human being, certainly, who in his daily activities walked with his disciples and, and was a rabbi and a teacher and a, a miracle worker among the masses. But when it came to proclaiming Jesus as the Savior of the world, the gospel writers wanted, you might want to say, imp to impart to their audience a sense that this was a person larger than life. Larger than life. I never felt larger than life. Did you ever feel larger than life? Unless I was in the company of someone that I felt was larger than life. When I was in New York City um, in my 20s, I've shared with you before that I was a supernumerary with the Metropolitan Opera. Well, that season bled right into the ballet season, the American Ballet Theater, and, and so I was supernumerary for the, super, for the uh, American Ballet Theater, and a supernumerary is just an extra. They don't dance, they don't sing, they don't talk, they just stand there with a spear and look good. Part of the scenery, right? But I was waiting to go out on stage for my part in that particular ballet, and I looked to the left, and who's standing next to me but Mikhail Baryshnikov. Yeah, wow. I've always thought of Mikhail Baryshnikov as larger than life. You know, I mean, the, the extraordinary abilities of this man who could dance storms around anybody. But you know what? I looked him right in the eye. He was the same size as me. And I felt larger than life right there in his company. You know, Peter, James, and John were the only ones who witnessed this event on that mountain in which Jesus was transfigured. His figure turns, Scripture tells us, as bright as sun. His face, his dazzling, his white dazzling clothes. He, he's bright, he's transcendent. It was important for the the writers of the gospel to have us understand that, that Jesus was, yes, larger than life, human, all the same, divine. And so Peter, James, and John were invited to, to be a part of this and to see this extraordinary witness. And not just that, but Jesus stood in the company of two titans of the faith, right? Moses, who led the people of Israel out of their enslavement to the people of Egypt and the pharaohs into the wilderness for 40 days, ultimately to come to their own land, and of course Elijah, who, who was embattled against uh, um, Jezebel, right, and Ahab, her husband, who was the king, but Jezebel really pulled the strings, um, to bring the people back to a sense of relationship with God and their purpose on this planet. Jesus here in the company is the extension 
of that desire that God had to bring the people back into God's heart. And so Jesus represents for us and the gospel writers in no uncertain terms wanted us to understand that Jesus is the one who brings us back to God's heart. What's intriguing about those three individuals, titans of the faith, absolutely, is that they had no love for power. They understood their role in this life was not one to wield power like we might think of power, but rather to be empowered to love to have love for God, love for the people, and love for bringing them together. And that's what the gospel writers wanted us to know about Jesus. That was the experience of Jesus, and it's what they wanted their readers to, to understand and understand and experience about Jesus. And, and, and the way they wanted us to do that is by responding to that voice that came out of the clouds. This is my beloved, my son, with whom I'm well pleased. I want you to were you paying attention? I'm testing you. Listen to him. Indeed. Listen to him. How is it that we're called to listen to Jesus after all of these years, right? But through what we're doing here this morning, through the scriptures that are read by Helen and others, through the songs that are, that are, are led for us and we, we engage in, as Diana sings and leads us in, in worship, by sharing together in fellowship, which takes place immediately following worship service, this is a, a pitch for you to go over to the Perry Hall and enjoy the goodies that have been prepared for you, to build those relationships with one another, because ultimately then, our role is to serve in community, serve the world with that empowered love that's been given to us in the grace of Jesus Christ. What's intriguing is that Jesus, when they were coming down back out of the, the event on the mountain, said to them, don't tell anyone about this until after the fulfillment of the resurrection has occurred, right? That's our era. That's where we live. We live in that after-resurrection time in which the proclamation of Jesus and all that he has to teach us and lead us to do is now ours. It is ours to to wield as love in this world, not the love of power, but rather the power to love. I hope in this coming Lenten season that you get a sense of who you are and how it is that people come to experience you and see you. I hope that people come to experience in you a person who does love God and others, that they experience in you not someone who's in love with power, but rather is empowered to love. May that be our calling, may that be our role in this world, and may that be the way that people see you and experience you in your daily life, by what you say, by what you do. In Jesus' name, amen.